welcome back to Start Kyle Orton. I'm Travis. Kyle is here. And, you know, we left last week on a cliffhanger, Kyle. Maybe someone's going to come back and they're going to listen to this five years in the future. And they're going to be like, I wonder what happened in the Bears-Packers game in 2023 to start the season. Well, let me tell you, buddy, we got fucked right in the ass by the Green Bay Packers. The the most disappointing thing about that Bears-Packers game mm-hmm. is that it was a Bears-Packers game. That's all it was. It was the yep. same game we have seen 150 times in our lives, and yes. that was that's the whole point. Like it, it's it was this was supposed to be different, and it was the exact same, exactly the same. The, the only difference is the opposing team's quarterback didn't even look good while he was doing it to us. No. Uh, we'll get to that, obviously, at some point here, too. But I thought, so the way I thought the dismay, if you folks are wondering, are they going to do this if this season turns into another slog? Are they going to do this every week? Hell well, yes. The, 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 we have abandoned you, our loyal reader, our loyal listener. We may abandon the Bears, so... <laughs> Travis and I talk about this. We'll give it a couple weeks if this is where we're trending. Um, we might shift to a more general NFL podcast. We might start for no reason at all talking a lot about college quarterbacks. Yes, uh, and, that, and the Carolina Panthers. And the Carolina Panthers draft pick status. We might start giving you all bad fantasy football advice. I don't know, but don't worry, we're not gonna leave you. We might leave the Bears, but for now. We will talk about the Bears. We will we will give them a few more weeks to disappoint us. Uh, although I think we're both emotionally numb enough that they really can't disappoint us more than they already have at this point. Yeah. Uh, see, I think this this was almost a relief to me because oh, yeah, we, no, the I mean, whole it, the whole off season we've been holding on to like you know at least some semblance of hope. We signed all these new guys. We yeah. got DJ Moore. Maybe Getsy wasn't as trash as he was, looked last year. Maybe Everflus wasn't as trash as he looked last year. A lot of extenuating circumstances, right? And now, Kyle, I am totally okay in my brain saying that every goddamn person on the Chicago Bears is bad until they prove to me that they are not bad. So everybody is starting at zero at this point. And, and you so- know, honestly, my heart is a bit lighter. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's 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 true. They came out with such a definitive loss in so yeah. many ways that it's it, like you're not thinking playoffs anymore. You're not these games don't. There are no stakes to these games beyond who is going to save their skin. We're already there. Who's going to show that they belong on the 2024 Bears? That's what's for stake now. You have yeah. to, that's what you're playing for. Uh, and that's what I do with coaching for, because and I'm, coaching for, yes, yeah. Um, I because I would like I I'm not like to. I think we'll talk about him in just a second. I think Ryan Poles probably is safe no matter what. I don't know that Matty Bufflew survives another three and fourteen season. So um, I agree. I agree. So, anyways, I made a list in order of the 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 blame for what happened Sunday, and I think we can talk about each of these people in turn uh, and work our way through it. And if there's nobody, if there's anybody on on my list that I didn't get to that you want to talk about, then obviously we will get to your rage. Your rage is as valid as mine. Should we take 60 seconds here, because it's not going to be much, and talk about the f- few bright spots that we had? Because I've only got two players who I thought performed I well. Don't... 
Roshan Johnson and Darnell Wright looked pretty good. I, I would say Tyreek Stevenson looked really good. He had one pass sure, that was sure. Jordan Love's one perfect pass of the day went over his head for a touchdown. Nothing he could do about that. Otherwise, sure, he looked great. Sure. And Darnell Mooney is the other dude. He was open. He did his job. He caught the passes that were thrown his way. I, I think there were a couple more players that I will throw kudos at. Um, Darnell Mooney was good. Yeah, Darnell was good. Tyreek was fine. Um, I thought outside of a handful of just true pass set, you are all alone on the island against Rashawn Gary, um, which is a tough draw for anybody, let alone a rookie making his first career. I thought outside, and, and PFF agreed, most of the film graders have agreed. I thought Darnell Wright held his own more often than he did in that game. Uh, and his yeah, grade reflects that. I think he got a 68 overall grade from yep. PFF. That's pretty solid for a rookie debut. Um, I thought during the broadcast, I was very mad at him uh, because he had those penalties, and he also had uh, he also just had a missed assignment on that naked bootleg that Justin got blown up on. Uh, I don't. I don't think that's a missed assignment. We can talk about that when we talk about Getsy. I, well, it's, yeah, I, I, anyways. Um, but other than that, I thought, upon review, Braxton Jones played a lot better than I thought he did. As a blocker, anyways, yeah. Braxton Jones, he made his best game in pass protection. He had a 92 grade as a pass blocker from PFF this week. So, uh, yeah. And Rashawn Johnson, everyone's impressing him. He should probably be the starting running back this week, or at least get the majority of the touches at running back. Um, but those are the guys that I will say played well and pleased with. Hey folks, it's Travis here. We had a little technical issue here at the beginning of the podcast, which is why you're going straight from me talking about Roshan uh, and Kyle talking about Roshan uh, right into me giving you this message. Um, And basically we just lost about four or five minutes here. Um, It ended up recording me, not recording Kyle, recording Kyle, not recording me and kind of bouncing back and forth. Um, But Basically, all you need to know is we're just getting back into talking about uh, uh, right from the top the people who were blaming for that debacle against the Packers on Sunday. And Kyle's going to start with Ryan Poles here in three, two, one. All right, we want some technical issues. Travis is going to have to chop this thing back together. So uh, hopefully, this is coherent and smooth. But we were talking about Ryan Poles and how he has, and again, it, 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 it felt like a surprise in the moment. You were shocked they were this badly outmatched. But again, it, it's not a surprise. It's not. You go back to March, you said, this defensive line isn't good enough. This offensive line, still, especially the interior, is not good enough. And that's, and yeah, that's what happens one day. They got beat on every snap. They couldn't even find that sneak. They couldn't even find that sneak. Twice in a row, they couldn't do a sneak. Because they have no center. They have ignored the concept of a center for years now. Mm-hmm. and there's pressure up the middle on every passing play. And you just you can't function like that as an off- as a passing offense. And on defense, they they did not pressure. They pressured Jordan Love five times on 30 dropbacks. Yeah. That's just not enough. And this is a kid that he talked about. He panics under pressure. There was a, a third and 15, I think, early on in the game where he checked it down like immediately because he felt pressure that wasn't even there. And and he yep. missed on a lot of. I mean, Jim Ned did not see play that well. I know the box player says he did, but said he did. But for most of the game, he was under fifty percent completions. Almost fifty percent of his passing yardage came from two plays. That one was a bested coverage leak 
play where he literally dropped the snake, uh, and it still didn't matter. And the other was a 50-yard screen by Aaron Jones. Fournette didn't play that well. Uh, and, and the few times that he was pressure, he looked very uncomfortable and he fired the ball inaccurately, mm-hmm. but they just didn't get enough pressure on him. And that, then that comes down to Ryan Poles has had this brilliant strategy to build the roster from back to front instead of front to back or inside out, however you want to phrase it. And we we tried to talk ourselves into that plan. We tried to rationalize it. We said, maybe, um, and that's actually going to, I'm going to go from there into, from, from Ryan Poles into, and I guess these two guys I'm just lumping together because I'm honestly not sure who's really more responsible for this defense at this point. Matty Bethlus and Allen Williams are who I blame next after Ryan Poles. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the thing that, that defense reminded me of was Phil Emery and Mel Tucker because Phil Emery would draft these players that did not make a lot of sense for a 4-3 cover 2 scheme. And he would talk about how the defense that they needed to run would be multiple and disguise coverages and rotate personnel and do all this stuff. And I would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's the that's the modern that's the way defense is shifting in the modern NFL. But then Sundays would come and Mel Tucker would be out there running the most basic vision of Levy yeah. Smith's defense possible. And the miss and it looked even worse than it actually was. But it actually it was even worse than I think it should have been with that personnel. They didn't have great personnel, but it was worse than I think it should have been because the personnel that they had were for an entirely different kind of defense. And that is what happened on Sunday. Again, Ryan Poles, you could see a kind of logic in, well, they built this secondary first, and they built this linebacker core first, and they're thinking that their coverage will buy their pass rush time and not vice versa. But that doesn't work on Sundays. They didn't really play coverage. They didn't. We thought, so they drafted Tyreek Stevenson, who was a press man corner, was one of the best press man corners in college last year. Yeah. They had all of these guys invest in the secondary. They were going to disguise coverages a little bit. We thought they were going to put eight guys in the box. We thought they were going to play single high safety. We thought they were going to man up against these Green Bay receivers. And make Jordan Love hold the ball for a second. And instead of being rushed they dropped seven. They played soft zones. It was a Levy Smith versus Aaron Rodgers game plan. But that guy's not Aaron Rodgers. And you don't have Julius Peppers or Tommy Harris or whoever you want to think of when you think of those great Bears defenses of the past. You don't have the horses to rush for and drop seven and play soft zone. And Jordan Love had all the time in the world to pick that shit apart. So... I think there is a functional defense that you can maybe make out of the personnel you have. We spent all offseason talking about what we thought that defense would look like. But it's not a soft-ass Tampa 2, 2004 Madden defense. This is what they were on Sunday. I mean, and Jordan Love, this this isn't the 90s anymore. Like, you... You know, in the 90s, you might have an NFL quarterback who didn't even really get to throw the ball when he was in high school or in college. Like, Jordan Love has been playing against the goddamn cover two since he was in high school. Like, you're not going to fool those guys and wait them out and get them to make a mistake anymore like they used to. They will keep taking that slant. They will keep, you have to do something to confuse this kid. And the few times they did, he panicked immediately. He threw the ball away. 
But they mostly just made it easy for him. That first third down, that first third down for the Packers really showed how the whole day was going to go. They stopped the run on first and second down. It was third and 13. You're like, okay, they've only got Romeo Dubs here. Press Dubs. Make them think, blitz him a little bit, and instead they drop for they go seven, they play off. The slant to dubs is immediately there. He picks up the first down. And I was like, okay, here we are. We are sticking to the scheme, the the blessed purity of the cover two scheme at the expense of the actual personnel you have on hand and the personnel that the opposing team has on hand, and I was like, here we go. This is going to give up 75 points if they try to play defense like this. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, you you kind of started this stream of consciousness with Ryan Poles, so I want to go back. Yeah, I'll give you a chance. Yeah, you can go back. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we um, we we had talked all offseason about how he had built this team. He focused everywhere, but the most important part of the defense, usually, Common sense tells you in the NFL right now that the defensive line is where you start. Everything else comes after that. Maybe you get one lockdown corner that you would prioritize over having an unstoppable defensive line. But really, the idea in the modern NFL is strength on the defensive line, and then everything else, you know, you kind of build out from there. Um, Similarly, on offense, he just flat out ignored that his two guards are completely injury prone. And behind them, he has a bunch of old dudes who are completely over the hill and looked horrible last year. We'll talk about Nate Davis in a bit. He was supposed to be good when he was on the field, and he was not this game. But basically, the way it looked, the most depressing part of this is not just that it looked like a Bears-Packers game. It looked like last year because our Mm -hmm. problems last year on offense were the very middle of the offensive line had nothing. They constantly got run over. They constantly got run through. So Justin had no time to pass. And then we would switch to running, and they couldn't run block. So the whole offense got stymied. And then on defense, we couldn't stop anybody because even though our backs uh, four, our, the four guys in the secondary were good, they, they were still given way too much time. The defensive line never got home. And because we never made any pressure, shit, eventually as a corner, you just can't keep up with the wide receivers because they do whatever they want and you have to react to it. That's just the reality of the situation. We came into this year and we thought, it's an idea that Poles has that he can, you know, subvert the market and just get really strong in the other positions and avoid the ones that get the big contracts because they're allegedly the most important. And it took all of one game. It took all of three quarters of one game for us to realize that that's not true, that you can't fucking do that in the NFL. I mean, and everybody and I, else's conventional wisdom is actually correct, and they do it I, for a goddamn reason. I mean, I think, and like I said, I think you could do it enough. Like, I think there is, there's you no have path to it. You have yeah. to blitz, right? You have to, and, and I've said, I've said this before, and people ask, like, which is better, 4-3 three, or 3-4? Three, I don't think it matters. I think the main difference is that if you're playing a 4-3, and if you're, especially if you're playing, like, a Tampa a Tampa 2-style 4-3 base or whatever, that defense is arguably the best defense to run if you have the personnel to run it. Because it is simple. It does let guys play fast. You do get to keep more guys in coverage. On paper, it's a fantastic scheme if you have the guys to run it. If you don't, it's 
nervous defense to run because you just you sit in soft zones and you get your ass beat all day long. Yep. The 3-4 defense is, at least the way most people tend to play it, it's always more prone to giving up the big play. Coverage busts happen more often. Um, but you can you have a lot more different areas you can send pressure from. It's a lot easier to disguise looks. It is a lot easier. If you are a defensive coordinator who is going to have to smoke and mirrors his way to being effective, it's usually better to do it in a 3-4 than a 4-3. Um, but Alan Williams did some stuff last year. He did some smoke and mirror stuff, and I didn't see any of that, uh, especially like around that time when they had a, they had a string of three or four games last year: the Patriots, the Washington, uh, the Vikings. I think they had a string there where they actually played fairly good defense there before they traded away Quinn and Roquan. Um, where he's doing some different things to make up for the lack of an effective front four. And it's almost like this year, they must have put way more faith in that defensive line than they should have. Like, they thought they they thought they could run the D. De- so maybe we'll see them mix it up a little bit more going forward. Um, I don't have a lot of hopes for it. But, yeah, it's mm-hmm. if you don't have the person to rush four and drop seven, don't rush four and drop seven. You just can't do it. It's just that's stupid. I mean- Here's here's the real the issue is if they were actually going to update this at some point during the season if they actually had like a uh, they were going to game plan I guess if they were actually going to game plan for fucking something and change this defense around this is the game right because this is the game where playing man coverage would have been most effective because they had no wide receivers on the Packers. That's all you had to do. Blitz some dudes, play man coverage on these absolutely overmatched wide receivers. Our corners played well in this game. Every corner played well. Every, both of our safeties played well. It, it didn't matter because we were in the fucking 4-3 lovey ball ass zone that we will never escape as Bears fans because this is purgatory. And we just let them get into the spot. We all know what the spot is. If you have watched Bears football for more than 10 years, you know where the goddamn spot in the 4-3 coverage is. And that's where Jordan Love found his wide open men. He just threw it right there. And then, oh, guess what? We're, we're back in soft zone. Uh, we've got Tremaine Edmonds sitting out in the middle of the field. And now we're going to throw a screen pass out wide. Uh, a delayed screen to Aaron Jones. Sorry, nobody can get over there. Now he's just going to run straight to the end zone. It's like you said, it's it's sort of like the triangle offense in the NBA, right? If you have Shaq and Kobe on the same team, it's perfect. That's all you need to do because you've got these two guys who can do exactly what makes it work. It's the same if you have Tommy Harris and Mike Brown. If you've got Brian Urlacher in the middle of the defense, hell yeah, Lovey's defense is going to work. But oh my God, if you can't generate a pass rush, with just four dudes, it's, it's the worst. It's the worst scheme on earth. Yeah, it's. Yeah, there might as well be cardboard cutouts sitting out yeah. there, and they never adjusted the whole game. They just let it go on. No. They never changed the plan, even as we're getting shellacked, even as the offense is struggling, which I'm sure we're getting to. And also, I appreciate that you put Getsy after the defense. Uh, yeah, we know, so yeah, yeah. I actually, I actually have one more thing I want to revisit about uh, Matt Eberflus. Two that's not to do with the defensive yep. side of the of the football, but so so when Matt Eberflus was hired, and we were all immediately skeptical because we were like, "God damn it, another yeah. fucking defensive coordinator!" I know exactly how this is going to play out. They're prioritizing building around 
Justin, we were told three things about Matt Eberflus. Three things. Mm -hmm. Number one, he's a defensive guru. And through a year and a, a game, his defense has sucked absolute donkey balls. And that is despite him getting to use two second rounders his first year and two second rounders plus a third rounder that was essentially a second rounder on that side of the ball and him getting to spend all but the all of the free agent contracts that they've given out that were actual big money multiple year guaranteed deals other than Nate Davis in two off seasons have been on the defensive side of the ball he has gotten to spend the vast majority of the resources that they've spent on his side of the ball and it sucks ass so strike one on the defensive guru front the second thing we were told is that he is a CEO head coach. He will let his coordinators do their job, and he but he won't, he won't get stuck on one side of the ball like Matt Nogi did or like Lovey Smith did. He will he'll dip his toes in everything. He will he will view the whole football team. He'll be involved in everything. This is also bullshit because he was asked, for example, why DJ Moore came out of the game after two catches in a row. His only two catches on a drive when the Bears were cooking. He was asked why DJ Moore then came out. And it was Tuesday, and he still didn't have an answer for that. He didn't know. He didn't know why the number one wide receiver was not on the field in the most important part of the field when they were trying to score. He didn't know. He still doesn't know. So he's not doing a great job as CEO. Um, he also didn't know, I believe, why, and this is one of the dumbest fucking plays uh, uh, of the game, at the one yellow line when they were trying to stop the Packers from running the ball in, Andrew Williams was not in. At the yep. Yep. What defense are you building with that personnel where Andrew Billings is not part of it? And if so, why do you have that? Burn those pages. Get rid of that part of the playbook. Holy shit. Um, he didn't know, but he didn't know. So strike two on the CEO front. The third thing that we've heard is that he's a leader of men, Travis. He's a mentor. He will That's get true. guys to buy in and play hard for him. And through two off-seasons, what that's looked like is passing on George Pickens because of alleged character concerns that still have not really manifested um, and when they the Bears sorely needed a wide receiver. And then what did the Bears do because they didn't take George Pickens? They, they traded a second-round pick for the guy George Pickens made expendable in Pittsburgh, Chase Claypool, uh, and was our great leader of men motivated Chase Claypool, Travis? What do you think on that front? I think like he may have demotivated him. He may have demotivated him yeah. further somehow. I'm not sure I've ever seen a player give up on a team as quickly as Chase Claypool he, did during that game. That effort Sunday was one of the most disgusting things. It was so bad. It was so bad that Eberflus would not confirm that Claypool no, was even going to be active. Yeah. We, yeah. He may I be deactivated for the Bucks game. I hope anybody who listens to this podcast or has since the beginning would pick up that in general, Travis and I are very pro-labor. We are very pro-players. We will give the players the benefit of the doubt most of the time that we can. We don't like to talk about a guy's effort, about a guy's personality, about a guy's off-field. We don't like to guess about shit we don't know. Chase Claypool, what he showed on the field Sunday was the most disgusting lack of effort I have ever seen. So my guy just it was it was Albert Hainsworth in Washington level effort. It was disgusting. And I again I ask you, Matt Eberflus, if you are not here to run the fucking defense, which sucks, if you are not here to 
know why your offensive coordinator is taking DJ Moore off the field in the red zone. If you have that here to get Chase Claypool just to do his goddamn job, what is it you do? What is your purpose? What is one thing Eberflus has done to show yeah. why he is an NFL head coach? There's nothing. There's no one fucking thing. You can't do it. You can't point to it at this point in time. And speaking of motivation, yeah. Nate Davis, you should look like a guy who probably should have practiced. Yeah. Nine pressures? Do you know how hard it is with a badge to give up nine pressures? It should nine. be impossible. It should nine. be nine. You shouldn't be able to do that. No. Jesus Christ, nine pressures. Like, we looked at this going into this game, and we thought, the week this is going to be, right, Patrick and Whitehair, which was correct, they sucked ass. But we thought the right side was kind of locked down, right? Because Nate Davis is good when he plays. Yeah. It's just the, he doesn't play all the time. But Nate Davis yeah. was fucking awful out there. And you have yeah. to wonder, you have to wonder not only can he not motivate Nate Davis, not only should he have made Nate play during the preseason, is the coaching just terrible on the interior? Do they have yeah. nothing for these guys? I mean, the, yeah. the scheme, the blocking schemes themselves are completely uncreative. There's there's yeah. nothing going on there. It's brain dead as hell. And we're going to talk about Getsy and the scheme here in a second, I'm sure. But, I mean, it, you're right. Like, the guys we have on this team who are malcontents, who our head coach is supposed to be able to motivate, to get to work, to, to reclaim, like, that's his whole deal. They have gotten worse. They have regressed. Yeah. They don't want to yeah. be here. Well, and they... And they ran screaming from Jalen Carter due to character yeah. issues. Jalen yeah. Carter had the most dominant debut by deep. Now, again, we have done really, and we are still okay with that. But the I'm excuse being, yeah. Yeah, the I excuse mean, being, if anything, having Jalen would be worse now, right? Because it seems like Jalen might may have just sat down on every play if he played for Maddie. Maybe. Oh yeah, no, like, maybe. I mean, that's the main point is that. The, the competitive advantage that Matt Eberflus was supposed to give us is that guys want to play for him. And there is not just no, abs, no evidence for that. There is, like you said, there is no evidence against it. If anything, yes. he makes, he comes, we have, I'm getting strong Mike Tessman vibes from this wiener at this yeah. point. Like he is, yeah. he is a defensive, he's a defensive Tressman. He, 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 he's a guru and his side of the ball sucks anyways. And it seems pretty clear that nobody in that building respects him. Nobody's yes. afraid of Matty before. I don't know if he can get that in the front of him during a meeting. I don't, if he snapped his fingers, does anybody listen? I don't think so. I have not. The inmates, we haven't reached an inmates running the asylum status with Matt yeah. Eberflus. It's very obvious. And it was supposed to be his strength. So that's hilarious. I think if Matt Eberflus is going to go down in history as the least memorable Bears head coach of all time. He is a it's... cipher. There's nothing there. He does nothing for us. He He's not interesting. And I think the players feed off that. They're just like, this guy is nobody. He's a nothing. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to make predictions after one game to start the season. But if this dude is gone at the end of the season, not only will I not be surprised, I will forget him within months. Yeah, no, it's, it's who the yeah. fuck was that guy who was our head coach? Yeah, when it was we, a weird... we got the first overall pick twice in a row or whatever. Okay, so I'm, I'm looking at my list here. So we've touched on God, we've touched on Ryan Poles, we've definitely touched on Matt Eberflus, we've touched on Alan Williams. Um, I didn't chase Claypool after this next guy, but I think we've already covered the Claypool piece. 
So this is guy that I had on my list. And I guess Nate Davis is technically, yeah, Nate I still think we could talk a little bit more about the interior of the offensive line here in a little bit. But uh, the next guy, obviously, then that we want to talk about is Luke Getze. Because yeah. that game plan was the most... So in 1999, folks, the Bears under Dick Geron... Okay. Hired, hired a guy who was the head coach at, at the time at Louisiana Tech. Uh, his name was Gary Crouton. Um, he was one of the early adopters of, of a vision of what has taken over football ever since, the spread offense. Gary Crouton and Marcus Robinson introduced the NFL to the wide receiver screen with devastating effect. In 1999, the Bears were the, the first team to really feature the wide receiver screen. And since then, they have been the worst fucking team in the NFL at running it. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether it's Gary Crouton or John Shoup or Terry Shea. Yeah. Ron Turner never ran it very much. I don't say no. many nice things about Ron Turner, but God bless Ron. That was one play he never had much use for. Ron didn't uh-huh. do that bubble screen, man. No, Mike ran it and was actually pretty good at it sometimes. He was the one guy who did have some success with it. They did occasionally hit one with Hester or Knox. Because you have to be creative with your screens. Trustman, <laughs> Trustman was, loved it, was bad at it. Nogi loved it, was bad at it. And here we are with Luke Getzey, loves it, is bad at it. Because here's the thing about screens. A screen is what is known as a constraint play. It is a constraint on the defense to get the defense to play honestly. The reason you run a wide receiver screen is because you like to throw the ball deep so the corners start backing off. And when the corners back off too far, boom, you hit them with the wide receiver screen and you get a free 10 yards because the corner is playing too far off to come up and make a play on the ball. So then with the court, you beat them with those screens enough the players would inch up to try to cheat against that screen. And once they start to do that, that's when you go deep on them again. Do you see how that works? That's a constraint play. It is a reactive play to the defense. You cannot make a game plan that consists of taking it to the defense with a wide receiver screen. Because what the yep. defense will do is they will just line up like the Packers did, sniff it out and blow you up for a six-yard loss over and over and over because they know you're not trying to give them the look of a screen. You're not going to try to pull a double move and then beat them deep. Just playing chicken shit football. Yep. 14 passes behind the line of scrimmage. 14. 14 passes was an entirely big work for Justin Fields sometimes last year. They made a game plan that 14 passes behind the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. Not all of those. We're schemed to be behind the line of scrimmage, but yes, there are lesser that will come later. And you're not you're not reacting to what the defense is giving you. You're not you your game plan. They they asked Justin Fields about it. They asked the game plan was that many screens behind the line of scrimmage. That was the plan. I don't know that the Packers even have safeties. Like no one respects the Packers' safeties. You you really that was your game plan was screens, wide receiver screens. And then let's talk about, again, the, the, the bane of what has been sequencing during Justin Fields' entire career uh, is first down play calling, whether it's Nogi or Getze. 
the Bears overwhelmingly, before garbage time, uh, to quote Tom Fornelli on Twitter, before garbage time, the Bears had, on their first down plays, they called 12 runs, which averaged, I believe, 1.8 yards per carry. And they called seven pass plays on first down. On first down, they completed all seven passes for almost 10 yards per attempt. And that's been Justin Fields' entire career. If you let him throw on first down, for whatever reason, he seems to be the most confident, just slinging it in those neutral situations. He will. He takes it, he gets his play action, He whatever it is, he slings it confidently. You usually pick up a first down, you move on, you get a new set of downs. What more often happens is they run it on first down, the defense is expecting a run on first down, the run gets stuffed, and you're already behind the sticks on second down, and you're setting up a third and round, where we know this offensive line still cannot pass protect. So it's just the screens and the first down, the constant first down runs into the pile for no gain. Unimaginative, cowardly bullshit. And and we made excuse we didn't make excuses for Getzy last year. We said we hope that the stuff that we saw from him last year was just because he didn't have the personnel to run anything better. He has the personnel to run better shit this time around. And that game plan was still the most chicken shit game plan that I have seen since John Shoop haunted these halls. I mean, I guess in a way John Shoop still haunts these halls, but since John Shoop physically haunted these halls. Sorry, I got distracted for a moment. Uh, but how dare you? Yeah, so I mean it's it's just a I mean, you mentioned John Shoop. It took it took two drives for me to text you John Shoop's name. Like this is just John Shoop, right? Like he's playing uh uh so I'm also an Iowa Hawkeyes fan, if everybody hasn't figured that out yet. I have to deal with Brian Ferentz on a weekly basis. Um, but they, they also had an offensive coordinator a while back. We used to call Gerg. Uh, he came over from University of Texas, and he very proudly said that his offense was east to west, not north to south. And it was the most disturbing shit I had ever heard from an introductory press conference for an offensive coordinator. And it bore itself out as the most frustrating offense I've ever seen. This was an east-to-west offense. The goal was not to get a touchdown. It was to, like, run people from one sideline to another. It was to throw wide receiver screens and swing passes to Deontay Foreman where you could clearly see the Packers knew what was coming. It was to throw bad, badly, badly planned screens. We have to talk about these screens. The Packers ran a couple of screens, and those screens were creative and thoughtful. They were creative and and what were they? What were those screens? They were responses to how the Bears defense was lined up and playing. They were they used the Bears defensive tendencies against them. They were change ups, if you will. Well, they They, had an idea behind them, right? They had the like Jordan Love runs to one side of the field on that touchdown. Oh, we're all going on this side. We're going to throw it downfield. We're going to throw it into that sweet spot like we've been doing it all game. The whole Bears defense goes that way. And then, whoops, we're going back to the other side of the field. Aaron Jones has two blockers. He's gone. That is uh, a University of Iowa screen. They use it all the time. We get like 50 yards on it. It's usually the biggest play of the game for the Hawkeyes because that's how it works. Uh, That has a plan. There's an idea psychologically behind that play. You know what? There's not an idea to 
snapping the ball and whipping it instantly out to the edge to your wide receiver when there's no numbers advantage to it at all. That There's no plan there. That's a run play. You might as well hand it off to Khalil Herbert and run him right up Nate Davis's ass because it's going to be the same effect. You're not trying to trick the defense. You're not keeping them honest. You're just calling the play. You know, it's like you're playing Madden. You're like, well, what is the play I want to run? Let's see if it works or whatever, right? The Bears sometimes would call an interesting screen. And unfortunately, and this is going to bleed into probably the next guy we've got on our list, Justin Fields is not great at running a screenplay. He he doesn't fully understand the timing or what a screen pass is trying to accomplish. So in a few occasions where the Bears had a good one lined up, Justin would delay and then he would panic and then he would run. And by that point, all your linemen are downfield. All your linemen are illegal. And then he can't throw the ball. And then he's running and the whole play is fucked. He's he's not the guy who loves catch runs. And no, Justin's not the last the next guy I'm getting to. He's the last guy on my list. The, the the next guys I wanted to get to before we get to Justin. Where's the three interior offense? Well, we talked about now hold up. I wanna I wanna say this about Getsy because I, I do think it's important. He had some good play calls in that game. He had some wide open receivers downfield. Yeah. And he then, had he, Justin with a clean pocket. And Justin yeah. didn't take it. And we are again in a position where you have to wonder if your offensive coordinator says, okay, you've passed it up for the third goddamn time today. I guess that's not a play that you're going to run anymore. Is the offensive coordinator, just like we were talking about with Nagy and Trubisky, just saying, well, if I'm going to call the play and you aren't going to take it when it's wide open, I'm going to stop calling the play for you. Because, I, because it's not a play anymore. I'm... It's a depressing thought. I don't want to think of it. I don't want to defend Gatsy necessarily. I'm kind of saving Justin for last year, and and we'll talk about him in more detail then. But um, I just say, if you still ask me who I put more blame on for that, I'm still putting more blame on Gatsy than Fields. Not that I'm sparing Justin from his blame. We will talk about that in detail. Because I do think um, the, the game plan was bad because the early scripts featured a lot of those screens already featured a lot of those first down runs to nowhere a lot of those turn downs from justin came later when they were already down multiple scores and they were that was when they were going with more drop back stuff and i think justin deserves his fair share of the blame then but i think it's important to note that in my opinion the game plan by gutsy was bad from the get-go and kind of put them into that spot later um, but yeah, the other thing uh, I'm going to stress is uh, the last thing I want to talk about is the, the interior of that offensive line. Uh, Cody Whitehead, Lucas Patrick, and Nate Davis. So those three players, guys, they combined, the three of them, for 19 pressures. Three offensive linemen, 19 pressures. And that's a lot. You're, you're probably going, holy shit, that seems like a lot. Do you know how much 19 pressures from three interior offensive linemen in one game is? Do you know how many pressures that is in the grand scheme of things? Think about how bad our offensive line was last year. Sam Mustafer gave up 20 pressures all season long. 
Hmm. And that's not a good figure. 20 pressures is still a lot for a center for a season. But 19, 19, just to compare him against his own self extra, Cody gave up 15 pressures in 12 games last year, and he gave up five week one. Almost 60% or almost 50% of his total from last year already in one game. In one yep. game, the first game of the season, five pressures. Those are that's an unforgivable amount of pressures. And that doesn't compare to Nate Davis giving up nine. Mm-hmm. Nine. I haven't had the chance to research that, but I, I would have to think nine pressures from one guard in one game would have to be like a bottom ten performance for any guard all season long. I don't know that you will see too many guards put up a worse effort than that. So it is important before we talk to Justin before we talk about Justin Fields, because we are not and this is the, the key point I think we're going to hit on with Justin Fields. We are not making excuses for Justin Fields. Not anymore. We're not doing that. But yeah. it is important to know that much interior pressure would fuck just about any quarterback. 19 pressures up the middle from the three guys that are supposed to set your pocket from the inside out. If you're getting that many pressures up the middle, you're not immediately being moved off of your launch point. There is not a single yeah. pass play that is probably going exactly to plan from the get-go. Now, a lot of quarterbacks can still make plays after being moved off their initial launch point. Justin Fields has made plays before after being moved off. But it, it's still a pain in the ass when it's happening every goddamn time you take a snap. And that also, I mean, neither, none of the three of them covered themselves in glory run blocking either. So it fucked, definitely affected the game plan that their backs did not contribute very much, at least not when the game was still competitive. Wilshot had some good runs late. God bless him. But uh, it didn't help that the off, that the, there was nothing from the halfbacks early on in the game because there was nothing from the interior of the offensive line throughout the game. And Luke Getzey's game plan did not help. So, no, we are, we are acknowledging those two factors for sure because I know when you criticize Justin Fields – people will come back with you about the offensive line and the offensive court. And I think we have acknowledged in depth that both of those were factors and arguably bigger factors in that loss than Justin Fields. But yeah. Justin Fields, it's time to talk about him. He was a factor in the loss. He contributed to the loss. And we got to talk about why. Because, so I famously, after the first game against Green Bay in 2019, Mitch Trubisky went out there, and I was I was done. After that game, I said, Mitch Trubisky's never going to be a good NFL quarterback. I'm done. I do not believe it will happen. There is no point in waiting for it to happen. And so I've had people, and I've lost a lot of followers at the time. I had a lot of fights on Twitter. Um, I've had people have me. So are you likewise? Are you done with Justin Fields? I'm not done with Justin Fields. I, however, if you know about the election needle, you know, on, on like New York Times where the, you know, the, the needle – that will be like leans toward this candidate, leans toward this candidate. It, I had that needle, and I would say at the before the first snap Sunday, that needle for me. If the if the if the question was, is Justin Fields the guy? That needle for me before the first snap Sunday was pointed, and it said leans toward yes. And for the first time after Sunday, that needle for me is leans toward no. I think it's more likely than not. Justin Fields is not going to be the franchise quarterback for the Chicago Bears. It sucks to say that. And I hope I'm wrong. And I am, unlike Mitch, still willing to hold out a tiny bit of hope 
then I might be wrong. Because he does have incredible physical tools that Mitch never had, that very few people have ever had. And I do think his path to success is still going to look a little different. I think there are some things that he can never get better at as a passer and still be an elite player because of the other things he can do. Um, but there is one thing specifically he has to fix if he's ever going to be anything more than what he is. It, the other stuff could stay. There are parts of his game that, that you'd like to see him clean up that he may never clean up. The, the thing you said about him not being great at throwing screen passes, you'd like to see him fix that. I don't think he needs to fix that to be a great quarterback overall. But the thing he needs to fix is that he's got to throw the fucking ball. He has to throw yeah. the fucking football when he sees it. And I think he sees it. I think we're saying he doesn't see it. I think he sees it. Because you watch the All-22, it's so discouraging it's so frustrating, but every time his head is leaning right at the receiver that he knows yeah. for half a second he's supposed to throw the ball to, yep. and he turns it down. He doesn't just miss it. He doesn't just not see it. Most sometimes just didn't see it. Most didn't know what defense he was looking at. I think Justin Fields knows what the coverage is, but if you ask him after the play, after the game, he almost always gives a very detailed breakdown. Yeah, they were in this. They were in that. It was this. I should have done. And he always says, I should have done this. For whatever reason, he's questioning himself. He he is questioning those turndowns. I do think part of it is that I think this is a coaching staff, again, led by a defensive head coach that has drilled into him that a check down is better than a turnover or a sack. And I think that thought is a worm in his brain and it's affecting him. And I think every single time, for half a second, he's like, oh, that safety's closing a little fast, though. Mm-hmm. When I fit that in, and that's not something that rookie Justin Fields struggled with. If you go back, and when he was a rookie, he was, I think, 10th in the NFL in terms of aggressiveness percentage as to how often he threw into a tight window. Um, he was top 10 in big time throw rate, according to Pro Football Focus. He's very low in those things since. Ever since Getsy and Eberflus took over, there has been a noticeable shift in aggression from Justin Fields to being one of the most aggressive quarterbacks in the NFL to being one of the least aggressive quarterbacks in the NFL. And I don't, I don't think that's something that he decided. I think that's something he had drilled into him. But the problem remains the same either way. It's time to drop it. It's time, if the coaches are telling you that, it's time to start ignoring your coaches. It's time to start firing in the bear. If you see it, throw it. You're going to whip it. You're going to whip that thing. Because that's the thing that will keep him from progressing. If he doesn't make the throws when they're there. Because, I mean, if he had just made the pick six, which was a bad play, but he was pressing, they were down multiple scores, it happens. Better quarterbacks than him have thrown him off at pick six, went down multiple scores, and trying to force a ball in there. That the, that actually didn't bother me because he was trying to be aggressive. It was a few times the day that he was. What bothers me is the turndowns that happened before that. For sure. So if Justin Fields, if that game plan had been the same, as it was, and Justin Fields had just hit the sail route to DJ Moore, the drift post to Chase Claypool, the over-the-ball throw to Komet. There's about four plays. It's really bad. That's really all it was. But three plays, maybe five. About five. Well, I would say five plays. Because yeah. he, he didn't have that much opportunity, frankly. I mean, he didn't, he didn't have guys streaking down so badly long. I think Justin Fields could have played a perfect football game, and the Panthers still win that game 78-27. to 27. Yeah, I, I, and we'd be sitting here we would be like Justin we love you hopefully you'll get some help later and we would just spend this hour ripping Luke Betsy apart 
But Justin Fields did contribute. He did make those turndowns. It's been a consistent problem. We thought it was just lack of trust in the guys he had around him last year. And we didn't blame him for lack of trust. And he goes, let me say about this is actually the central question that people had about Justin Fields going in last year with that supporting cast. It was what he learns from this shit sandwich that he's about to yep. be in. Can he forget them when he's in a better situation? Or is he going to be seeing ghosts forever like Sam Donald? Is he going to get Derek Card? At D- David Card. Which one was the card? David Card, right? David. Yeah. Although I actually think Derek Carr, not to the extent that his Ben has, I actually think Derek Carr did still see his ghosts from his early Oakland days. Those early Raiders teams had a very bad offensive line, and you've seen ever since, and I think given what happened to his brother, Derek Carr has always kind of shied away from contact. And he has always gotten rid of the bad. Sometimes I got second too early to avoid that sack. He's been quick to take the check down, and you're starting to see that a little bit with Justin. Used to be that he would never take the check down, and now it's like, okay, you're you're going to that check down a little too quick. You need to yeah. like. So, I'm not saying it can't happen. Mike, this late in his career, at this stage of his career, the odds say he's probably if he's still turning those throws down, that's probably who he is. I don't know his. I, I don't. I can't think of. Yeah, I mean, I think. So the, the my biggest issue with these plays, like the four, I think it was five plays that I found where Justin, you know, had the opportunity to throw the ball downfield and took a check down instead. They weren't screens. They weren't called screens. They weren't designed that way. Um, my problem wasn't even necessarily that he was turning down his definitely open first option. I, I think the, the most obvious one, because Greg Olson mentioned it during the broadcast, we got 11 yards out of Khalil Herbert when Justin – check the ball down, but DJ Moore was wide open for 35 yards down the yeah. field, right? Yeah. I, in, un, in another uh, un, not talked about portion of that play is that Cole Komet was simply sitting downfield at 12 yards, right in between yeah. the two linebackers, wide yeah, open, he and drilled it right in. And later in the game, we had the same thing. You mentioned Claypool, yeah. wide open down the field. Okay, so you don't want to take that. But he's still checking it down to the running back on a play that is doomed when, again, Cole Komet is standing in the middle of the field, yeah, just sitting there with his hands up like, I'm wide open for a first down. And Justin won't even take that, the second best option. Yeah. He's still checking the ball down. And it, yeah. it hurts to see a guy who in college was such like a desperado. He's just going yeah, out there and whipping was, the ball around. I got turned, turned into sub-Chad Pennington almost. Yeah. You know, he's just he, scared. Yeah, he is. He's playing scared, and it sucks. It sucks to see, um, because you and I both we love. I mean, that that's why Justin Fields was such a uh, prospect for both of us. We love to see those guys who don't play yeah. scared. Josh Allen is a guy that we love for that reason. And again, it's Josh Allen's. Maybe at this point, he's veering a little too far into the Cutler side of that pendulum. You know, yeah. you gotta take. You gotta. You gotta tone it down a little bit now, son. Um, but yeah, we we'd rather go. We'd always rather have a quarterback who goes down swinging. That's that's us. So um, I'm not saying Justin Fields that I'm done with him or that that he's 100 percent cooked. I don't believe it can ever happen. More likely than not, if this is still a problem, it's going to keep being a problem. And if so, he's never going to take that next step in his evolution. But if he gets and he and he know he acknowledged it. He said when he was asked about the money, he said I need to be more aggressive. I was too conservative. So if he takes that to heart, if he comes out Sunday in Tampa and he comes out swinging, I think Justin Fink's going to win us back a little bit for sure. 
Like it, yeah. you just need to see some aggression from him. And if the offense around him is still broken, if the pass protection is still shit, we'll deal with that. Like I'm, I'm fine with dealing with a situation where once again, Justin Fields just needs more help because they should have the resources and they should have the draft picks that they can still keep building around him. This whole, this isn't even help. Like, cause if we need help going forward, right. It's not like spend a bunch of money on a wide receiver. Our receivers got open. It's not yeah. spend a bunch of money on running backs. Our running back room is pretty good. It's yeah, the it's, cheap parts of the offense is yeah. the interior line. It's yeah. the least expensive shit to fix. I mean, imagine if they had just signed Ethan Pochich, if they had just gone after an actual oh. an actual center. Imagine. Um, but yeah, so it's it's but like I said, we, we are not, we're, we're just past the point where we're making excuses for Justin. I'm not going to sit there and tell you that it's not his fault. That he, it's, it is not his fault that he got pressured so goddamn much. That's actually the one area where he made noticeable improvement. So last year, Pro Football Focus said Justin was responsible for about 24% of the pressures that he got. They were on him. That thing mm-hmm. on Sunday was actually only 15%. Um, and which was middle of the pack. It was like 16th in the NFL. That's remarkable progress for him. We'll see if it keeps up. Uh, he was not responsible for the amount of pressure that he was on Sunday, which hasn't always been the case in his career. Um, and it is good that a couple of times he did legitimately, in my opinion, find the check down on plays where he should have found the check down instead of trying yeah. to make a play. He scrambled effectively when he, he scrambled. I didn't think any of the sacks were really him running himself into trouble. Um, so he made some some legitimate progress. We'll see if that keeps up in that front in terms of pocket presence and and pressure. Uh, so it's not his fault that the offensive line was trash again. It's not his fault that you know what was it a full forty percent of his attempts were screens. I don't know. That's not his fault. Yeah. Like there were five plays, and that's still too damn many. Those are the difference a lot of times between winning and losing, where he just didn't make a throw, and we need him to make the. Goddamn throw! You've got to start playing. You got to you. You can start playing like you've got nothing left to lose because pretty soon here you you will have nothing left to lose, Justin. You you are you're yep. playing for your job. You're playing for your job, buddy. Throw the ball. Yeah. Like we're not rooting against you by any means. We love Justin Fields. We really do. Um, we want to see him succeed so badly, but we are past the point where we make excuses for it. Then I'm past the point where I'm saying that the only thing holding him back is the Bears. He is holding himself back a little bit right now, and he's got to push through it. You got to throw the ball, man. You got to throw the fucking football. We had kind of talked about earlier uh, before we had got to Getsy, but there is that play. Um, I feel like every every Bears offensive coordinator is like a signature play. Um, You know, we used to talk about the drop back and get sacked as a play. Um, That play where the Bears would just go five wide and hike it to like Shane Matthews and just be like, go out and take a sack, buddy. Like, it didn't really seem like the idea was to go anywhere. Um, with Nagy, I used to call it the motion to nowhere. Um, and he did that with the Chiefs on Thursday, if you noticed, where he moves a bunch of guys around, but there's no purpose to it. And the defense isn't confused. They just get bored and then focus on the play. And then they light it up. Um, and I think the signature play for Getsy so far, without a doubt, has been this goddamn play where he runs play action, drives the entire offensive line, wide receivers, and the running back to the right side or the left side. Justin rolls out the other way, and we just we just don't block one defensive end. And that defensive end was never confused. 
he always hits Justin. And yeah, I it's, saw it so often last year. I don't know what the purpose of this play is. It is a it is a play that I think it's a play that works when you remember that Luke Getze used to coach Aaron Rodgers. Like the defensive yeah. line the defensive end's gonna crash down because he's not really afraid of Aaron Rodgers taking off for fifty sure. yards. Sure. But that defensive end against Justin Fields is being told, like, hey, buddy, you don't crash down. you got to keep an eye on Justin Fields. If you're the backside end, keep an eye on Justin Fields. And so when they try to run a naked off of that, that's never crashing down. He's just going straight for Justin Fields. It's just, yeah. Yeah. So the, what what should we call that one? The bootleg to death? The the, yeah, the boot the bootleg into a defensive boot, end is what I've been calling it. But <laughs> the, boot, the boot up your ass, the boot to hell, the yeah, yeah the the bootleg to death sounds good to me. Uh, but I, so. he runs it once a game. He did it all last year. Justin always got hit, and he was just like, I'm sure there's a point to that play somewhere. I mean, the other thing about Getzy, his offense last year we talked about this, but we kind of brushed it aside. Like, well, what's he going to do? His his run scheme is so fundamentally incurious. It is the, it, it, every run play the Bears ran in the first half was a handoff and a prayer. It was like, we're all going to block straight ahead. And Khalil, I really hope you find a hole somewhere. You know, there was yeah. no idea behind it. When the Packers run it, you'll notice that their blockers are perpendicular to the end zone, right? They are yeah. they are doing something. They're pulling and they're pushing a guy this way. They're letting a guy go this way. And they're opening a hole for Aaron Jones to go through. Not well, Dylan. He had a very bad game. But, but well, Aaron sure. Jones to get through. The Bears, the Bears don't have that. And, well, that's what I wanted to bring up. You bring up LeFleur. Getsy is supposed to be running a very similar offense, isn't he? he that's is, where he but, comes from. He is a disciple of LaFleur. But it's important to remember that Getsy was the wide receiver quarterbacks guy when he was in Green Bay. And sure. we're talking about the run design, which the, you, there's yeah. a reason teams have a different – a lot of times, you know, they have a run game coordinator. The thing that makes – the reason that Kyle Shanahan assistants have not done as well once they've left Kyle Shanahan, the same reason Mike Shanahan assistants didn't, is that the design – of those guys' run games was so creative and so innovative, and then everything they did in play action was built off of that. And Luke Getzey just lacks that creativity in the run game, and then it bleeds into their play action looks. Michael Fleur is second in the NFL, maybe tied for second with Arthur Smith, but second in the NFL behind Kyle Shanahan himself when it comes to just the, the creativity with which he designs a run game, and then the things that that lets them do in the screen game and play action based off of those looks. And Luke gets to just fundamentally lacking that creativity too. And he had yeah. Justin Fields. You can be the most creative motherfucker out of those guys because you can then add a QB run dimension to it that those when guys generally do. When they hired Getsy, this is what Eberflus was saying. He was like, Getsy is the only guy who brought me something that was all about Justin Fields. It was about building an offense around Justin Fields. It was about getting the most out of Justin Fields. I have seen none of that. What the fuck did, what does 14 passes behind the line of scrimmage have to do with Justin Fields? What do 10 screen passes have to do with Justin Fields? Nothing. It, it's nowhere near the offense he would run with Justin. I, I, it drives me nuts. Like, we were sold a bill of goods on this guy, that he's going to build everything around this quarterback. And he he's done nothing to help him succeed except for get him hurt, run him into defensive ends, um, and, you know, get 
get guys open on five so plays the, that Justin didn't take this last game. The frustrating thing with that game plan, especially with Justin, is it felt like Luke Getze was saying, we have wide receivers now, so now it's time to run a normal-ass NFL offense. Yep. And, and you, that should never be your thinking with Justin Fields. Because I and I have some Bruce Rand friends who I I know disagree, but they're like, well, no, I mean, Justin, if Justin's going to succeed, he has to improve as a pocket passer. And I'm like, of course, he has to improve as a pocket passer, but it should be relative. Justin Fields is never, in my opinion, going to be a top ten pure pocket passer in the NFL. But he can be a top ten quarterback if you if he makes enough improvements to be like an average ish pocket passer on top of the other things he can do. But your offense cannot just be. Justin Fields doing straight dropbacks and then scrambling sometimes. That's what Michael Vick did 20 years ago. It's not very creative. Yeah. The thing with Justin Fields is everything you have should absolutely be built around play action, moving pockets, moving back runs, all of that stuff. Until the defense sells out to stop it. Yep. That is when you need Justin Fields to show that he can succeed in a straight dropback situation. You shouldn't just put him in that for the hell. I mean, the difference from that is obvious between look at how the Eagles used Jalen Hurts and, and look at how Shane Steichen used Anthony Richardson already. They're not asking Anthony Richardson to take straight dropbacks. They they do RPOs and everything else up until the moment when the defense is selling out to stop those things. And then it makes the pure pocket stuff easier because you are dick you know what looks you're getting from the defense because they're they are forced to adopt. So I don't understand why you don't just run Justin Fields, bootleg Justin Fields, play action Justin Fields, movie pocket Justin Fields, until the defense sells out to take that stuff away. Yep. Then that's when, yes, he needs to make improvements as a pocket passer when it's required. But if you just build your offense around him being a pocket passer first, that just, it seems like making life harder on you than it has to be. They just keep falling into this trap. That. I mean, that just kind of wraps everything into a nutshell for me, which is that this is so boring. It's so what we've seen before. It is so repetitive. You know, we are we are looking at literally the identical defense, the one that it, there's nothing interesting about it, and now everybody knows how to beat it, so it's going to get beat. We are looking at an offense that we have seen before in Bears history. We've seen maybe two or three times you know, within the last 15 years alone out of the Bears. And there's nothing interesting about it. And because of that, there's just no, I have no hope that we are going, oh, just, this man is, you love the beautiful background of typing. Uh, but oh, yeah, sorry. there's no, I have, I have no hope for this team because nothing here suggests to me that anybody is going to have an idea that's going to dig them out of this. Nothing here suggests to me that they'll be able to actually look at a player and utilize them in a way that will improve things. You know, it's just so, it's so boring. Uh, And I'm not ready to have another 17 game season. That's just this boring for the bears. So yeah, like you said, I, we give it a couple more weeks. If this is the same old shit, folks, we're going to talk about something. Yeah, we'll, we'll find something Bears, else to talk about. We will give the Bears 10 minutes, and then we will talk about something. Yeah, we'll, talk, we'll find something to talk about. But all right, well, let's hope we get a better effort, especially from Justin Fields in Tampa. And then we'll, I, I'm kind of already out of hoping that this will get much else from this defense for yeah. sure. Um, yeah. But, yeah, we'll see you guys next week. We'll see where we're at. Bear down. 
Bears down, that's for sure. <laughs> Now you know I'm leaving 